2: Hello and welcome to this spooky episode of Stories of Scotland. I'm Jenny, a ghost of my former self. And I'm Annie, the ghost of turnip's past. And together we are not even mildly scary.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's true, yes. (laughs) But some of the stories that we have this week are truly terrifying. We are telling ghost stories from the marvellous borders of Scotland... We've been digging through oral histories and archives in our little ghostly turnip patch to bring you some tremendously fun spooky stories. Just a quick thanks to our sponsors of this episode, Scotland Shop. Scotland Shop make beautiful tartan clothing with a story behind every product. And your tartan garments can be custom made to fit your body shape.
2: While based in the Borders, their Tartans are available worldwide. Follow the link in the episode description and see their wide range of tailored Tartan clothing and fabrics.
1: There are over 500 clan Tartans to choose from. 500! And you can make a virtual appointment for some personal service from the comfort of your own sofa.
2: Your own sofa?
1: Jenny, I think you'd look great in one of their tailored suits. I agree, Annie. I'll head
2: over to Scotland Shop via the link in the episode description after the show. But for now, let's get back to the borders.
1: So, Jenny, why do you love horror and scary ghost stories? Um, they remind me of motherly love. (laughs) (laughs)
2: No, really, they do. Um, (laughs) My my mum lives for a good spooky ghost story and I used to love listening to her tell us all her scary tales when we were young and growing up. One of her favourite pastimes is asking staff in creepy old hotels if they've ever had any spine-chilling happenings happen to them. And then she goes and books the room that they say is the most haunted in the hotel for a night.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Jenny she is not going to appreciate you giving away her secrets when she goes to book the spooky ghost room and one of our listeners already has it
2: (laughs) (laughs) no absolutely and I think if you try and attract spooky things to you doesn't work like that you know ghosts work on their own timetable and they're not they're not coming to haunt you they don't want someone excited to see them you know like if a ghost popped up in front of my mum she'd probably be like sit down with a glass of wine with them you know they don't want that they wanna they wanna scare her. So I don't think she's had any luck yet, but I doubt she's going to stop. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I love scary stories because I live for drama and tension. And I think horror often has some of the best conflicts. Because it's usually life versus death.
2: Or the rational versus the irrational. And let me tell you, my mum can be wildly irrational. <laughs> <laughs> She's not going (laughs) to like that
1: bit. She's not going to like that bit. (laughs) So this is a story originally told by John Coburn, or Jack, as he was known by his pals. And he lived in Coburn's path. You always know it's going to be an old story. When the
2: person telling it has the same name as the village they live in. And our Jack Coburn traces his family stories all the way back to 1690. So it's no wonder that they named the village after him.
1: Oh, Jenny, they didn't name the village of Coburn path after him. Oh, no, just the path. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is a marvellous spooky story that Jack got from his granny who got it from her mammy. So it's a lovely family tale.
2: Grannies do tell the best stories, and they also then slip you a tuppence for it.
1: Well, Jack's granny gave him a truly tremendous tale with a couple of unexpected twists. So I'm just going to try and do it justice. It began with a new family moving from Aberdeen up in the north of Scotland down to the Borders. They settled in a wee village called Long Longfirmagus was a village amongst long sweeps of rich green farmlands scattered with steadings and woods, and the river known as the Dyewater ran down from the Lammermuir hills. For the folks of Longfirmagus, their lives were framed by dry stone walls. They lived by the shift of the seasons to plant and harvest their crops and then the ground would freeze in winter, resetting the cycle with the thaw in spring. But, most importantly for the people of Long they were in need of a blacksmith. Fortunately, the father of this family was a man named John Neal, and he was a very skilled blacksmith indeed. He knew the tricks and magic of shaping iron with blazing fire and hard anvil. Now, nobody knew why the Neil family had left Aberdeen but some folks said that they had got themselves into a bit of trouble with the law and others said that they'd even been part of the Jacobite Rising. But whatever it was, the Neil family found themselves a new home in the borders. Back in those days, every village needed a blacksmith. If your tools broke and they needed repaired, Or if your horse needed some new shoes, so it could continue working. Or if you were building something and you simply needed a few nails, then you would put your faith in the local blacksmith, who knew the secrets of fire and anvil. This is the way that the blacksmith gets to know the whole community. From the poorest tenant who needs his rake mended, to the richest laird, who's getting their carriage wheel fixed. Everyone needs a blacksmith. So when a local aristocrat, the Duchess of Roxburgh died, it was John Neal's duty to go to her funeral and to pay respects on behalf of his family. The Neills were tenants on the Roxburgh land, you see, and it was important to honor the life of the Lady of the Land, even if it meant a journey of over 20 miles to the market town of Kelso and so John Neal attended the funeral and his solemn presence along with the attendance of many other tenants of the land showed that the Duchess would be missed indeed perhaps all the tenants were very fond of the Duchess perhaps not but they all knew their rents went to the Duke it was an unwritten unspoken part of the deal To make the duke believe that his family were well loved by the tenants. Because that's the kind of power that land ownership wields. And so, Blacksmith John's obligation to attend the funeral was fulfilled. But it was upon a simple whim that the life of our hard-working man begins to unravel. Because he took a very big diversion home towards the public inn in Greenlaw where he had a few drams with his friends, toasting the life of the Duchess. These words and songs sung in her honour, well, they may have been genuine, or they may have been in jest, but certainly something stirred her soul that night. And so, when it was time to leave the inn, John realised that he was further from home than he should have been, far away from his warm fire and his loving family. And in his haste to return home and to be with his loved ones, he made a choice that would haunt his family for years to come. John took a shortcut over the moors. Nowadays, this is a calm and rolling scenic glen, scattered with a few wind farms amongst green fields. Back then, however, the moor was a more wild place, cracked with streams and burns, making treacherous ditches to stumble into at twilight. The earth was thick grown with bracken, gorse and briar. It was the kind of shortcut where you could trust your feet more than your eyes. You'd only know that you were in a ditch once your boots were completely overflowing. Now, all shortcuts bring us risks. Though they are often worth it. Sometimes shortcuts can lead us onto big adventures. By the simple nature of them, we are crossing into the unknown, into a place our boots are unfamiliar with walking, but in the heavy gloaming of night. When we are far away from home, Perhaps you might hear a gentle voice inside your head, reminding you of the dangers of the less trodden path. And in this era, in John Neal's time, the dangers were malicious for him indeed. Nighttime could be the domain of thieves, highwaymen and outlaws. If you believed in it, starlight could bring out the glittering kingdom of supernatural creatures. Perhaps the moon may light the shadows of spirits and ghosts floating between life and death. A shortcut was a risk indeed. But blacksmith John Neal chose to take the shortcut regardless, and he set out across the moor. And unfortunately, this shortcut added a long, long way to his journey. He only made it home in the early morning sunrise, and he was in a state of half-consciousness. His wife heard him arrive with a thud against the door, and his family had to help him get into his bed. And John, he could not speak of what had happened on the moor. He just begged for the minister to be brought to him so he could confide his terrible story of the shortcut home, because it weighed upon his soul. So his family brought the minister, and the minister cleared them out of the house and sat with John, and John swore him to secrecy. He never wanted to remember this dreaded night on the moor again. Afterwards, the minister sat down with the blacksmith's family and told them that they were to never step foot upon the moor to Greenlaw again for if they did it would unleash a horrific curse the family didn't know what had happened to John the minister kept it all very vague but by just the look on the minister's face John's family's hearts were struck with a deep fear thus they all made an oath that day never to pass the Greenlaw moor Poor blacksmith John Neal never recovered from his mystery ordeal and he died at twilight that same day and after John Neal had passed away some people would say that he died of shock or fright or something worse it was such a sad family tragedy yet slowly things healed and got back to normal and the warnings slipped into the past John's son, Henry, was just old enough to take on the blacksmith's shop, and things went well for a good many years. Ten years after his father's death, the blacksmith's shop was doing very well indeed. It was a fine summer's day when Henry Neil, who had become a very acclaimed blacksmith himself, was called to go to Greenlaw for some business. And because they'd had nothing but blessings for the past few years, Henry decided to ignore the warnings of the old minister. He headed off to Greenlaw, but he took the safe road. But when he got to Greenlaw, his work took much longer than he expected, and it was long past dusk by the time Henry set off home. After a long day of working and thinking he could save himself some time, Henry sat off in his father's footsteps and he also took the shortcut home across the moor. It was a warm summer night and his path was lit by moonlight. But Henry, Henry never made it home that night. His body was found with dreadful deep claw marks and was covered in bruises as though some gruesome creature had attacked him. Finally, the minister broke his silence on the story that John Neal had told him. John had been crossing the moor from Greenlaw that cursed night, when he heard the noise of a horse behind him, galloping with heavy hoofs and deep, thick breaths. John turned to see what was coming, for no normal horse could cross a moor so thick and he was scared and he was almost completely frozen in fear what was coming towards him was a ghostly funeral march led by the devil himself at the front horned like a gnarly goat the devil was driving the ghostly hearse the carriage pulling the coffin and sitting up In the carriage was the Duchess of Roxburgh herself, as a ghost, shrieking. Behind the devil rode a funeral parade of a thousand ghost-like demons. When the moonlight twinkled on these spectral creatures, John would swear that they had the faces of everyone he had known who had passed away from this life. faces of his fellow Jacobites who had fallen in war it filled his heart with terror john saw it coming towards him and he ran for all his worth in the half-light and the devil whipped up his horses to chase after john beside the devil's carriage was a horse running loose saddled up but without a rider and the devil shouted to john and commanded him to jump up onto this horse to ride it and join his demon parade and all of the demons riding in the funeral parade behind the devil hollered and yelled in support of their dark lord, jeering and beckoning John to join them. The devil stared at John with his intensely dark yet luminous eyes, laughing, commanding him to join the funeral march and ride on the saddled horse. Blacksmith John ran with all of his might and made it just to the edge of the moor as the devil yelled after him You've earned yourself a day but the next time you or any of your family cross this moor again I will have your soul And so that is what scared John to death and that's why his son met an extraordinary death on the moors that night. The devil chose to claim Henry's soul in place of his father, who had refused a ride on the devil's horse. Satan's Stallion. It was a nightmare. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> that joke was a nightmare, Annie.
1: <laughs> Nay, it wasn't. <laughs> you better hoof it out of here with that attitude. <laughs> But the Greenlaw Moor is now known as Fowl Fords and the folklore seems pretty consistent that this place is haunted by ghosts.
2: Well, Annie, that was a very gnarly story. And uh, did you also happen to find an echo effect on that haunted moor?
1: Yes, it's great, isn't it? Woo!
2: But Annie, I can't help but sort of pick out this massive plot hole in the story. Why didn't the minister just tell the family the full tale at the very beginning when it happened, so that the son knew to avoid the moor?
1: Trust, really, because confidence is so important with ministers. And in this time period that Jack was talking about, for the Christians of Longfirmagus, the minister would be the secret keeper of the soul and the sins. So his silence was sacred in a way.
2: Oh, okay. Well, just saying, if I was a minister and I knew the devil himself was hiding out on a moor, waiting for someone from this particular family to wander over it, I may be using that one person as bait and wrangling the devil. Catching the devil, Annie, can you imagine? That's going got to get you some good old gold stars in the Almighty's book, no?
1: No. What would you do with the devil once you caught him, Jenny? Dunno. Introduce him to my mum? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, Jenny, she would love that.
2: She would. She would. If nothing else, it would be a good story to tell.
1: <laughs> but... Jenny, you would make a dreadful minister because you can't use innocent people as bait. Yeah, I yeah. really do not think you understand the gold star system. <coughs> if this is, this is what you're planning.
2: No, that's that's true. That's true. I've no concept of morality. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I blame the mother. <laughs> Anyway, apparently at some point there was a memorial to the Neil family on the moors, a big stone, but I've not been able to verify this. So perhaps this memorial itself was a ghost. Is that your
2: second ghost story for the episode?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're impressed.
2: <laughs> Woo, I'm a ghosty stone. Stick an echo on that and we're done.
1: Woo, I'm a ghosty stone. <laughs> So our next ghost story is from a local newspaper and we all know there's a special place in my heart for ghost stories in local newspapers.
2: Yes, it's right next to where you keep your love for the echo sound effect.
1: <laughs> well, that's a new love, but it burns bright. So here we have an excellent article from the Southern Reporter in August 1875. And it's called The Haunted House at Lee. Now this paper's Gala Shields
2: correspondent, a trustworthy and well-meaning fellow with a knack for cribbage, ran into an old pal of his called Tam. In conversation with his respectable acquaintance, a memory from some 40 years prior was knocked loose. It was one which even to this day, in modern 1875, raised the hair on the fellow's ankles. This terrifyingly true tale was witnessed by himself and another honest Tweedside man called John, who was so shaken by the experience that he emigrated to America not long after. John had, by 1875, unfortunately passed away, and although his grave is far over the ocean, miles away from the graves of his fathers, and from the hills and valleys of Selkirkshire. The sheltered beauties of Yare, the sunny slopes of Nellie, and the sweet musical flow of the silvery River Tweed. But now that John has passed, his respectable acquaintance Tam felt he may now share their tale. The scene of this ghostly adventure had fitting associations with the supernatural as the house had a well-established reputation for being haunted. And while people like to have a chuckle at the notion of a real-life ghost, we've all experienced perhaps a sound or a movement suddenly occurring, or just in the corner of our eye, and it has sent our hairs standing on end, and a strange spooky quiver through our whole bodies. And this is what happened to our two friends, ...when they were faced with the ghost in the old, decrepit, ivy-covered mansion... ...the house of Fair Nally. Now, some houses just asked to be haunted... ...and Fair Nally was one of these. It was old and dilapidated. The wind whistled mournfully through the nooks and crannies... ...and the rooms were so dimly lit it was hard to see the far side. And last but not least... The previous owner of the once grand house had, for reasons unknown, slit his own throat with a razor blade. The blood from this tragic incident could still be seen on the old, creaking attic staircase. And no matter the fancy brand of detergent used, it would not wash out. The more it was soaked, scrubbed and scraped, the brighter the crimson stain showed. It was clear as clear as the stain itself that the troubled spirit of this poor soul could not rest and at the dead of night when the hootings of the owl had reached their loudest eerie and unearthly sounds came from the tenantless attic in the old house
1: what kind of bangs were they jenny uh sillet bangs <laughs> bang the ghost <laughs> is gone <laughs> For our international audience, Silic Bang is a popular cleaning product that was not available in 1875.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now, despite the eerie noises, dark history and time-travelling detergent, Tam and John decided to rent Old Lee Mansion. For the size of it, it was dirt cheap, and with a bit of sprucing up, there was potential for some cracking parties, if nothing else. After they'd been in there for a few weeks, they noticed strange noises were occasionally happening in the attic. But neither man really felt a great urge to go and investigate the cause too closely. They were quite happy to jointly occupy the space so long as they didn't need to shell out for an exorcism. Exorcisms are not cheap. You can say that again, Annie. <sighs> now one night, as Tam was just drifting off to sleep, Right on the cusp of the world of dreams, all at once, the most unearthly sound came from the attic overhead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's been—it's been a while. It's been a while since I've heard that noise, Jenny. But that sounds suspiciously like a dolphin.
2: Um, why don't you just whack an echo on there, Annie, and we'll be fine. <laughs> but I found this in the archives, so you can't argue with history. (laughs) No, no, I can't. This terrifying oceanic noise jolted Tam awake, and he could find no natural hypothesis for this scary yet somewhat majestic sound. And though he tried to resist, a strange fear took possession of him. He pulled his blankets up to his chin and tucked them under his feet.
1: Uh, the classic old anti-ghost blanket cocoon a tried and trusted method
2: but Annie no matter how trusted the noise still continued and Thomas tightened his anti-ghost blanket cocoon while slowly ever so slowly his door creaked open and John asked Tam Tam are you sleeping nah replied Tam from under the blankets
1: "'Do you hear that,
2: Tam?' asked John as the noise rumbled through the room.
1: "'Aye, John, I
2: day. What is it?' "'You'll have to rise, Tam, and, and see what's to be done. I don't ken what that is.' And so, reluctantly, Tam undid his cocoon and crept over the bed with fear and trembling. Whatever doubts the men previously had about the ghost's existence were truly extinguished. The serious business upstairs had to be faced. But how is it to be done? What'll we do, Tam? Will we tack the Bible or the pistol weigh us? Tam had little faith in the word of God in such an emergency. And he replied, Ye may tack the Bible, if you like. I'll be tacking that pistol. And he loaded the weapon with the necessary ammunition. John, however had praiseworthy respect for the word of God and took hold of the biggest Bible he could find, naturally concluding that the bigger the book, the more effective the word of it would be. For everyone knows that size 14 font is far more damaging to a ghost than size eight. (laughs) Tam clung firmly to his less spiritual weapon as he led the way up the old creaky stairs stepping over the bright red stain on the way. Candle in one hand, and pistol in the other, he climbed. And John followed behind him with the really, really big old book. When they reached the top, the noise had ceased, and the attic was as still as a graveyard. And although they were ready with weapons, both carnal and spiritual, their courage failed them and they dared not explore the mysteries of the haunted chamber. I'm breaking it, Tam. I can't go any further, whispered John, but Tam was already halfway turned around by the time John had spoken, and the two of them ran terrified back down the stairs. John thought that the power of the mighty book had stilled the ghost, but the ghost was not so easily vanquished. The men had not yet returned to their beds, when the mysterious sound came once more, only this time it was louder, the ghosty was still in the attic. John again peered cautiously in on Tam, and more earnestly than before urged him to get up. Get up Tam, it's back! They were now resolved that come what may, the mysteries of the attic must be faced they muttered between themselves that it was no doubt the restless spirit of the poor soul who had died so tragically years before. Once more, they armed themselves with a big old Bible and a pistol and told each other that neither spiritual nor bodily harm could now be inflicted upon them. But, screwing up their courage as they might, there was no possibility of getting rid of the dread that bubbles up when coming face to face with a ghost. face to sheet. It depends on if the ghost is expecting visitors
1: What do ghosts put on when they're expecting visitors? Their best sheet
2: (laughs) (laughs) Tam again led the way up the old creaking stairs with candle and pistol making sure to skip the bloodied step Quite frankly terrified John followed once more with the open Bible before him This time as they approached, the noise did not cease, but instead seemed louder and more soul-shaking than ever before. Slowly and shakily, Tam clasped the cold brass handle and turned it. The door swung open with an eerie ease, and the two men peeked through their scrunched-up eyes to see... ...Wallace. Wallace? Wallace! For Wallace was Tam's wee terrier Doug, and boy was he excited to see the two. For he had been trapped in the attic, Annie, stuck with no way out. <laughs> For the noises which superstitious inklings had magnified into something demonic and unearthly were in fact caused by an old winnowing tool, a wecht, lying on the floor.
1: Okay, so I've checked with my papa, and a wecht or a winnow is a sieve-like tool used to process grains. Um, It's often a piece of kind of canvas-like material or skin stretched over a frame, so it's a bit like a drum if you were banging on it. And, And we all know that drums make very oceanic noises, so it makes perfect sense that this tool would sound just like your dolphin noise.
2: Well, Annie, I've never wecked a grain in my life, so I had to improvise, okay? <laughs> <laughs> we trapped Wallace had been scraping at the wecht with his paws, and the stretched canvas had acted like a terrifyingly spooky dolphin drum. <laughs> and while, dear listener, you feel duped by the lack of ghost, so did Tam. And he angrily declared that he would rather have faced a real ghost than in fact been hoaxed by a dug so great was john's annoyance and shame he crept back down the stairs with the hefty bible sorry that he had turned it to such a dishonorable use although he couldn't say how he intended to bring it into service had the ghost actually been real this adventure however did end up with a good result the wind continued to whistle dolefully through the nooks and crannies of the old building and at times the terrier renewed his scrapings but neither John nor Tam were ever again frightened by the midnight pranks of the ghost of Fernalee. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is such a silly story and my absolutely favourite thing about it is the dramatic build-up. They make such a big point about one man moving away to America because he's so frightened by the events of this evening and it turns out to just be a wee dog
2: (laughs) well Annie one man's doggy is another man's ghoul Um, yeah I'm not entirely sure why John did decide to move to America or why they could only tell the story after he died like it's a good story I'd be telling that every other week if that had happened to me
1: it was probably your dolphin noise that made him move to America Jenny (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't be the first time wouldn't be the last (laughs) I found a similar tale from 1873 in Jedra, where a group of folks had gathered outside of a haunted house and were gazing at an upstairs window in awe of a ghostly spectre holding a candle. The crowd were amazed by the distinct big wide round face of the ghost glowing in the candlelight. Um, that is until... Someone pointed out that it was actually just the reflection of the moon. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the moon. <laughs> imagine, imagine being the one person in that crowd with two brain cells and being like, wow, everyone is about to hate me.
1: <laughs> I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spoil the fun. Go along with it. <laughs> it's like the one kid in class who tells everyone that the milk goblin isn't real. The milk goblin? I'm sorry, what?
2: (laughs) The milk goblin. You mean big milk, Annie? You mean...
1: Thanks to our sponsors of this episode, Scotland Shop. Scotland Shop make beautiful tartan clothing with a story behind every product. And your tartan garments can be custom made to fit your body shape.
2: While based in the borders, their tartans are available worldwide. Follow the link in the episode description and see their wide range of tailored tartan clothing and fabrics.
1: There are over 500 clan tartans to choose from. 500! And you can make a virtual appointment for some personal service from the comfort of your own sofa.
2: Your own sofa?
1: Jenny, I think you'd look great in one of their tailored suits. I agree, Annie.
2: I'll head over to Scotland Shop via the link in the episode description after the show. But for now, let's get back to the Borders. (laughs) Okay, Annie, I have one more story for us. This tale takes us to the Valley of Tweed. Here, there once stood a curious tower called Little Dean Tower. It was well known by all the folk in the settlement of Maxton, for it was rumoured to be haunted by the ghost of the woman who had once lived there. She was a greedy woman, with the insatiable desire to possess things that others had. All her life, she scrimped and saved, while also extorting others and never paying her fair share. Upon the time of her death, she had amassed quite the fortune, but when she died, not one person who knew her wept. In fact, the folk of Maxton cursed the lady and celebrated her departure. While gone from this physical world, her spirit could not rest. For with each day, another of her terrible deeds kept her tied to the earth that she had once walked. Many years passed, and the tower gained a reputation for supernatural happenings. Doors would bang, candles would extinguish and then relight themselves over and over again.
1: I have realised in Ghost Stories that the invention of light switches has really helped... The ghost's plight of spookiness.
2: (laughs) You're right, Annie. It takes a lot of matches and spooky energy to create a strobe-like candle flickering effect. (laughs) (laughs) But despite her rumblings and occasional candle light shows, the new laird who occupied the tower wasn't too bothered by his extra tenant. That is, until one night, when a young servant girl named Beatrice was alone in the kitchen cleaning shoes. Quite surprisingly, as she worked away, an elf-like orb of light began dancing in front of her.
1: Is it the milk goblin?
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, Annie, for once, the milk goblin has nothing to do with this spooky tale. For as soon as she looked up, there stood an old woman in a sodden brown cloak. The lady said that she was cold and the girl immediately threw her half-cleaned shoes over her shoulder and began to help the woman. She sat her by the fire and stoked it until it was roaring. She prepared a hot drink and some ye olde chips and dip, which was just bread and cheese, and hung the woman's wet cloak and shoes to dry. Touched by her kindness, the apparition admitted to the girl that she was in fact the ghost who haunted the tower. Only her gold would not let her rest. While sipping her hot cocoa, she told the girl that she must go to the laird and tell him that under one of the stairs, there lay the dead woman's fortune. He was to split up this fortune, taking half for himself, as he was the new laird of the tower and must upkeep it properly, and then to split the rest, giving half to the true and kind girl who had helped her and the other half to the poor of Maxton, as well as the orphans and the elderly folk. Once this was done, said the now dry ghost, I shall be able to rest with a clear conscience and leave this world for good. The young girl did as she was told, and lo, the gold was found, and the instructions of the ghost were followed to the T. The poor of Maxton rejoiced, and for the first time ever, Blessed the old lady who had lived in the tower. Her ghost was never seen again, and the candles remained firmly
1: lit. That is a really lovely ghost story. Isn't it?
2: It is. I I like that one because there was a real ghost and a nice happy ending for everyone involved.
1: For telling us such a nice story, Jenny, I'm pretty certain that the Milk Goblin will have a milky treat for you. Little Dean Tower can still be seen today. It's a 16th-century tower ruin, standing close to the site of an old ford across the River Tweed. The tower was occupied by the Curs of Little Dean, chosen for its strong natural defences to the north and west. Local folklore tells us that the Tower of Little Dean was abandoned in favour of another settlement, when the head of the household was gored to death by a prized bull, so perhaps this tower is haunted after all. I think ghost stories are a great way to remember our past and see into our future. Ghosts remind us that all the environments that we inhabit were once spaces that belonged to another time and other people and creatures before us. Whether it's an attic of an old house, a suspiciously overgrown moor, or perhaps a windy chimney or a tall tower, ghosts remind us that we weren't the first people to experience this world, and we won't be the last. Aww,
2: I do. I like that view of ghosts, Annie. That's very nice. But how do they let us see into the future?
1: Well, only three things are certain in life. Death, taxes and the milk goblin. (laughs) Stop!
2: (laughs) But that is unless you're really rich and you don't pay taxes and you also probably invest in a death avoidance scheme too, so...
1: Well, everyone dies, Jenny, and ghosts are a reminder of this. A spectral memento mori. Ghost stories last for generations and centuries because the afterlife seems so eternal when we compare it to the average lifespan. However, if anything, I think horror and ghosts are there to remind us to seek joy and happiness in life. Make the most of your time on this world because being a ghost is not that much fun.
2: Well, you're right, Annie, because nothing gives me more joy than a good spooky story. Aww. And ghosts inhabit this space that we often talk about between life and death, this wonderful liminal world that seems both foreboding and weirdly welcoming. We see ghosts appear in Scottish stories as loving family members with important messages or warnings or as old enemies with unfinished feuds. I think today we've experienced the full range of comedy and tragedy of ghost stories, from the poor blacksmith hunted by the devil to the truly terrifying dolphin noise created by the terrier drumming in the attic.
1: (laughs) That's what it was, (laughs) (laughs) verbatim. Thank you all so much for listening to Stories of Scotland. We are a tiny wee independent podcast and we make this show because we love researching, recording and sharing these amazing Scottish stories with the world. Let's not stop with the world, Jenny. Let's go to the whole universe. (laughs) Let's
2: go to the liminal space between worlds. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs)
1: Let's see if the Milk Goblin can get us on some distribution channels for the the supernatural. (laughs) Yeah, I know a guy. (laughs) We have an amazing group of generous people who support this podcast on Patreon and who get some bonus content as a thank you. If you want to join these wonderful folks supporting our wee podcast, check out the link in the description. We would also like to welcome all the people who have just joined our Patreon club recently.
2: And a cold, spooky welcome to Anya, Madison, Catherine, Eliza, Jennifer, Doug, Michelle and Mike.
1: I hope the Milk Goblin brings you all suitable dairy or dairy alternative products of your choice. Thank you all so much.
2: (laughs) You're all brilliant people and I kind of hope that the Milk Goblin doesn't bring you that. (laughs) I don't know. And uh, don't complain to us when a small angry goblin keeps forcing cheese upon you we are so grateful for all the support we get from this podcast both through patreon and all of our other social medias which you can find us on and also your reviews which are awesome and we really really love receiving them so thank you all so much for reviewing us because it helps our podcast get into more people's headphones
1: we only need another 12 reviews for me to get my perfect 500 number of international reviews all collated so that's what i'm aiming for and i just need another 12 of you you could be one of those 12
2: you don't get anything but you make us happy
1: you make us so happy <laughs> <laughs> so so happy you get you get good karma with the milk goblin Your milk
2: will last one day longer before it spoils.
1: (laughs) May you always avoid terriers in your attic and haunted moors. Until next time, my friends, Slangeva. Slangeva.
2: The worst I've ever got from a shortcut is two wet boots, three miles added to my journey and a new pal named Gary, who also got lost. And actually, that wasn't bad. That was great. Gary's a great guy.
1: (laughs) 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 But this is much spookier than Gary, Jenny. This is much spookier than Gary.
2: All right. Did you also happen to find an echo effect on that haunted moor?
1: Yes, it's great, isn't it? Woo!
2: Okay, you need to add an echo to that woo.
1: <laughs> okay, Jenny, okay. If
2: that's what you want, and that's what you'll get. Desperately. I definitely <laughs> want an echo on this whole episode. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we all know there's a special place in my heart for ghost stories in local newspapers.
2: It's right next to the spot where she keeps her love for turnips in newspapers <laughs>
1: <laughs> you genuinely couldn't think of anything else I, I love could you <laughs> I was like nothing
2: that's appropriate for the podcast Sill <laughs> it You're bang the dirt is gone sill it bang it's a funny joke it's to do with all the detergents they had to use to get rid of the stain <laughs> Were they still it bangs? <laughs> Please say it. At least, at least fifty percent of our audience will chuckle. <laughs> still <it. laughs>
1: <laughs> at. Are you laughing about? What are you laughing about? You've done something bad with the story. Just, just my
2: accents. <laughs> 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 I'm
1: just laughing at Tam's voice. <laughs> <laughs> did your mum read you ghost stories? <laughs> or did she just put on some really low budget films?
2: Why not both, Annie? Why not both? <laughs> An elf-like orb of light began dancing in front of
1: her. Is it the milk goblin? <laughs> <laughs> Big milk. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no Annie <laughs> no Annie <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I thought I'd stop snorting my
1: snorting by holding my nose and I snorted out my throat instead
2: <laughs> that's the noise that the ghost actually made in the last story <laughs>
1: <sighs> um. well only three things are certain in life death Taxes and the milk goblin.
2: You're right. That milk goblin has plagued me since primary three. <laughs> <laughs> I just want. Okay, April Fools' next year, we're doing a stories of the milk goblin episode. <laughs> we're just we're making up face fo- fake folklore about the milk goblin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, up yeah, for that. I'm <laughs> up for that. All right.